Welcome to The Aesthetic City Podcast. In this show, we aim to discover how to go forward and create a more livable, beautiful, and healthy built environment. I'm Ruben Hansen, your host and founder of The Aesthetic City. Today's guest is a professor at the University of Notre Dame School of Architecture, specializing in traditional urbanism, architecture, and building techniques. He operates from Rome, Italy, and holds an architectural degree from the Sapienza University in Rome. His academic and professional career is centered on integrating traditional architectural principles with modern urban planning needs. I was honored to meet today's guest at the IMCL Congress of 2023 in Poundbury, so I'm very pleased to finally welcome Ettore Mazzola. Thank you, Ettore, for joining us today. Thank you, Ruben, for the invitation. Yeah, warmly welcome. So, first of all, could you briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your journey in the field of architecture and urban planning? Well, it's a long journey. Uh, I decided to be an architect when I was 12 years old because mm-hmm. I had a professor at uh, the middle school who was a, an architect, and but she was uh, an architect in love with the real architecture, with the history, and uh, she brought us uh, uh, to a, some, some town uh, far from my hometown to visit a school of uh, arts uh, and craft uh, and to become designer of architecture and interior design. And I fell in love. I come back home and say to my parents, that's the school I want to have next year. And my parents said, are you crazy? You can't wake up at six, uh, earlier than six in the morning, take a train, go to this uh, town, which is also used to be considered very dangerous. And, and then I said, okay, I'm no longer going to study if you don't allow me to do it. <laughs> so um, at the end, I succeeded. I made some strike of family. <laughs> for a month to convince them. And then, anyway, I was very happy to follow that school, even if I I was a little bit disappointed because already in the high school, since we used to have classes on architecture, I realized that it was much more about uh, industrial buildings rather than architecture, the one I was thinking about. And at the uh, university, it was even worse because it was, you know, I always joking with these uh, stories I wrote in uh, my in my book, Architecture and Home Planning, Operating Instruction, uh, some intro dedicated to someone that wants to pass the threshold of the School of Architecture, and I'm recommending them before passing the threshold of the School of Architecture to read the books uh, of uh, urban sociologists, and I listed a long num- uh, number of people in order to, uh, and the idea is to read these books uh, uh, as a kind of vaccination against the lobotomy. Because unfortunately, <laughs> that is what is happening in many schools of architecture. Ideology is, yeah. uh, is uh, the, the, the rule. And uh, if you diverge, diverge from uh, the mainstream, uh, you are uh, in Italy, it's uh, much more hard than uh, in other countries because you cannot pass the exam until the professor says you can go and have your exam. So it's, wow. some, it's a process that thing can take years and years. So this was making me very disappointed. Uh, and I made my parallel studies uh, together with those at the school. I was uh, studying the architecture that I was uh, never taught at the School of Architecture. And uh, I discovered by accident that uh, my favorite architecture uh, was the one I developed at the very beginning of the 20th century. Uh, well, actually, I love all the architecture, but I was very intrigued with this kind of architecture, which was uh, appearing very human, very... Um, not only humans in terms of uh, scale, but in the way uh, everything was appearing as uh, 
carefully plan in order to respond to all the needs of the stakeholders. And uh, but these were just uh, intuitive uh, uh, ideas. Uh, in any case, after taking my graduation in 1995, I, I had a scholarship of Prince, uh, the Prince Charles, present King Charles. Yeah. And uh, I was involved in a program uh, that was developed in a summer program that was uh, held in uh, Rome, Caprarola, and Biarritz. And uh, in this way, I got in contact with many people from all over the world that were uh, working on uh, traditional classical architecture, which was the one I was thinking about. And uh, the next year, I was asked by the, inst- the, the Institute of um, Prince Charles to mm-hmm. uh, go to St. Petersburg together with Ben Bolgar, we represented the Prince of Wales Institute of Architecture, in a program that was a joint venture between the University of Notre Dame, uh, American, and uh, the uh, Fine Arts Academy of St. Petersburg. We were the guests. And that was the, the place where I got in contact with uh, the University of Notre Dame. The dean on those mm. days was uh, Thomas Gordon Smith. And yep. uh, we become friends. I invited him because I used to teach on those days for the University La Sapienza in Rome. And uh, starting from 1996, uh, we engaged this collaboration. And in 2001, I was asked to teach for the School of Architecture of Notre Dame in Rome, in the Rome program. I'm not tenured wow. because yep. I'm also a practitioner. And uh, I decided to teach as a passion more than, uh, you know, I'm doing uh, seriously my job. But I can't uh, quit my practice since I decided to be an architect when I was 12. Uh, and I need to, to, to work and teach. And the University of Notre Dame, uh, to me, it's, uh, it's a fantastic award because, you know, there is uh, some freedom, differently from what some people can imagine. But it's also a school that is uh, hiring a professor of the practice, yeah. which is something I think fundamentally important because when you have a professor that are merely academic professor, sometimes they are too far from uh, uh, real life. And so sometimes uh, the risk is to teach uh, white elephants instead of teaching what is really necessary to be done. Yeah. And uh, so I made all my studies on uh, the earliest archi- the architecture of the earliest 20th century. Uh, I published several books and I discovered so many uh, things that were completely um, hidden when I was a student that uh, I decided to, uh, to, to publish uh, constantly uh, essays, articles, uh, books uh, where I can uh, present, you know, the sound of the other bell because uh, the monotony of a really monothematic way of teaching at the end is, uh, in my opinion, the main problem of nowadays. Because until yeah. we are teaching in the School of Architecture according to the ideology, according to the, the ideas that are not realistic, we are creating a, a series of generations of, of architects, professionals, that are deeply convinced on what they receive. I, I, I still uh, hear a lot of people saying we have to educate people to understand that an arch is not allowed today. What's the <laughs> hell of saying these things? And this is the consequence of uh, some dogmatic yeah. way of teaching, which I define yeah. a lobotomy uh, or brainwash, if you, if you like, which brought uh, people to uh, have fun on architects. How many movies uh, are have, having fun on architects? 
how many disciplines are being created to study the side effect of the archive, like urban sociology, as I mentioned earlier. But uh, uh, people uh, out of Italy uh, don't know that the translation of uh, this uh, master book of uh, Tom Wolfe from Bauhaus to our house, yeah. where he has a lot of fun on <laughs> modernist architects. But the Italian translation is Maledetti Architetti, which means damn architects, which is not a good advertising for our profession. Yeah. And, to me, it's ridiculous that, uh, you know, a few years ago in Turin, it was uh, some uh, meeting among the architects. And the question was uh, why people are no longer in love with uh, architecture. Unfortunately, I was not there because uh, my suggestion was, please open the door and try to listen to people. Maybe you will understand yeah. that you are considered crazy, stupid, weird or whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, I recognize it from our summer schools that we organize in Utrecht with uh, Inbau, the Netherlands, that we get students who for the first time ever are allowed to draw ornament or get to know things they've never received information about in their, their entire career or, yeah, in very serious university courses. And then they completely blossom and they fall in love with what they hear. So uh, I see that that part is really powerful and so what is your vision um on the philosophy behind traditional architecture and how do you believe it could be uh, an antidote against let's say that brainwashing what people learn in university well i think first of all uh media like uh, your podcast are mm -hmm. fundamentally important because normal media tv uh, newspaper, magazines, being sponsored by, in this case for architecture, being sponsored by the most important producers of industrial architecture, obviously are not interested in giving space to those that are thinking differently. And, uh, and this, I think it's, uh, it's totally unfair. In Italy, until 1931, it was a, a wonderful magazine, which is available online. There are the PDF of this magazine that was called Architettura e Arti Decorative. That was giving space to everybody. It was especially giving space to the craftsmanship. Uh, but at a certain point, the battle was uh, lost because the power yeah. of industry sponsoring even the schools of architecture uh, took the power and what we have today, uh, it is the consequence of this uh, dramatic cut that was made with, uh, with the tradition. And uh, it is necessary, among the different things I learned when I was uh, making my research, and which are never ending, I'm still working on these kind of researches, hmm. I discover uh, the rules that were... Uh, valid before fascist time uh, in Rome. So we are talking about yeah. not long time ago, up to 1925, so 98 years ago. Used to be a series of rules, a series of laws, and also a strategy that was made on purpose to solve the problem of housing, uh, but in the same time to uh, develop, reinforce the sense of belonging. Uh, the imposition of a, an international style was the mm -hmm. murder of the architecture, was the murder of social life. 
was uh, the way to start with the construction of uh, depressive districts, uh, which I define criminogenic, because at the end the, the crimes are arising in these places. And uh, it was uh, something that was also presented thanks to the sponsorship, thanks to the way of uh, teaching uh, dogmatically in the School of Architecture as the great solution to have a city that was much more just, much more equal. Uh, they were talking about classless society, for instance. Mm -hmm. And it was funny, for instance, when in 2007, one of uh, the most important Italian architects uh, who was also a professor in Milan at the School of Architecture and uh, was the director of the most important Italian magazine on architecture, Casabella, when he built uh, the Zen uh, district in Palermo in, uh, uh, across the end of the 60s, and, uh, uh, well, the design was done there, but the building were finished in 1992. They were, he was saying that that kind of district was uh, creating, in, uh, was translating in architecture the idea of uh, the new Jerusalem, the classless mm. society, and many other things like this. But when uh, the journalist of uh, some um, new, you know, some TV show called Iene in Italy interview him in 2007, and he asked, uh, uh, "Would you live in the Zen?" His answer was, "Was what are you talking about? I'm doing the architect. I'm not doing the proletarian." Even if <laughs> wow. he was talking about the classless society district. And Incredible. so we, we uh, suffer for all these, these brainwash that was made convincing us. But I think the, the, also uh, as, a demo, uh, as uh, many drama in the recent uh, past demonstrated, uh, the um, industrial architecture, it, it doesn't work. If we have uh, the imposition of uh, COP26 and COP27, to reduce the emission and make our buildings, uh, our cities uh, uh, more efficient and uh, more, uh, you know, sustainable, it is necessary mm -hmm. to change a lot of things. But yeah. the interesting thing is that what is uh, actually dysfunctional is uh, what uh, Le Corbusier and his friends, starting from 1933, imposed as functionalism, because they never used the word modernism, hmm. they use the word functionalism. So if this is uh, true, and unfortunately it is, we have to change the way of building. Mm -hmm. This doesn't yeah. mean that we have to kill all the industrial producer of whatever you want, but uh, European community that is subsidizing uh, programs uh, for clean energies, which are addicted on oil, as Jem Kunstler has demonstrated in the book, The Long Emergency, for instance, and is uh, sponsoring this idea of making the coat on the buildings uh, to make uh, the walls uh, more efficient, uh, even if this is uh, a, a temporary solution, is not uh, something that is uh, forever. Maybe yeah. we can simply watch at our back and uh, be honest enough, uh, putting away the, putting apart the ideology and recognize that uh, the behavior of old buildings was much better in terms of. Uh, thermohygrometry, in terms of also seismic, because the seismic architecture of the past is much more secure than the present one. So we need to go back on yeah. tradition, not because of fashion, not because of style, but because if we need to save the planet, we need to recompact the city in order to have less consumption, 
and less pollution. And we have to build buildings that are not addicted on air conditioning or, uh, or uh, heating. And this is possible to be done with solid walls that are lasting in millennia, not in uh, decades, as it is happening today. Just to give you an idea of uh, what mm -hmm. I'm talking about, uh, in my studies, uh, as uh, I also uh, do, also with my work, there are districts in Rome built uh, uh, for social housing, even if it was a mixed income, mixed function, which were built in a very short amount of time. For instance, the, fir the first 44 houses of the district yeah. San Saba built of bricks, they were started with the real official data I found in the archive. They started the construction in October 1908. Yeah. And in uh, April 1909, people <laughs> were living there. And wow. the cost of construction of these houses re-evaluated, uh, as I uh, reported in my book, The Sustainable City is Possible, cost Cost, the cost was uh, roughly 60% less than current cost of construction of wow. uh, housing. And uh, actually, these former social housing are a few of these uh, houses are on the uh, real estate market because yeah. uh, thanks to the monster buildings built in the, the 70s, 80s, the Instituto per le Case Popolare was in bankruptcy. Now it's called mm -hmm. ATER, no longer ICP. And uh, they are selling the best properties and uh, in 2018, it was an option mm -hmm. for one of these apartments of San Saba. And yeah. the cost was to start the auction was 11,000 euro per square meter. Wow. And the cost of maintenance of these buildings uh, in uh, more than 100 years was zero. In the Garbatella district, uh, there is the lot number 24 built uh, for a demonstrative, as a demonstrative project. It was given one month for the design and four months for the construction. The blocks is still there since 1929. The, the buildings yeah. are houses. And then if I think at the problem of refugee today and uh, the, or the reconstruction after, after earthquake of nowadays, to me it's ridiculous to see that yeah. there is no way to solve this problem immediately. If I think about the reconstruction of Valdinotto in Sicily after the earthquake of 1693, promoted by the Bourbons, mm -hmm. uh, the city, the, 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 the region was completely destroyed, raised down. And then in a while, they built Noto, they built Ragusa Ibla, Ragusa, Modica, Ispica, all these marvelous, marvelous yeah. places, which are the more sought after uh, in terms of tourism. Yeah. yeah, And they were built in a traditional manner. But in 1783, it was a, some horrible earthquake that destroyed Calabria, the southern part of Italy, the mainland. And mm -hmm. uh, during this earthquake, many buildings were destroyed because uh, the, the ground was shaking very, very powerfully. But uh, some buildings uh, survived and the plaster collapsed. And they discovered that yeah. behind the plaster, it was uh, some uh, wooden framework construction method, which was the ancient system used by the ancient Roman called Opus Craticium. Mm. So they, in 1785, it was published the Manual for Seismic Construction of the Bourbons. In 2013, 
an international commission of engineers of seismic construction came mm -hmm. to Italy and they decided to test the Casa Baracata Borbonica, which is uh, the kind of building uh, represented in, this, in that uh, manual. And they simulated some earthquake never registered on this planet. And the wall say, okay, that's it. So this uh, International Commission of uh, Seismic Engineers said that yeah. the most secure seismic construction ever is the Casa Baracata Borbonica. Wow. Have you ever heard any school of architecture or engineer that is imposing the study of that traditional methodology? And uh, no. this is uh, something that is saving lives because all the buildings that collapsed after the earthquake of L'Aquila, after the earthquake of Amatrice or Norcia or Emilia Romagna, starting from 2009, the buildings that collapsed were those that were strengthened uh, with the reinforced concrete that overloaded and created some rigidity that was not compatible with the old walls. And that's why the old building collapsed. But those buildings survived for centuries and centuries of an earthquake even stronger than the one of the last uh, 15 years. But it seems like we can't talk about yeah. these things because of the imposition of uh, using modern uh, technologies. A European yeah. community is uh, subsidizing in Italy the so-called Sisma Bonus, which is uh, a program to reinforce uh, historical <laughs> buildings or buildings that are in danger and they are killing the historical building first because they're making some rigidity that was never there, but also because yeah. they created this crust of uh, reinforced concrete outside of building where the walls used to breathe normally. And mm -hmm. so historical buildings now are suffering of condensation inside the rooms because we put some barrier to vapor with the excuse yeah. of reinforcing this building, which are not reinforced at all. Yeah, so it's kind of bad architecture, which the architects themselves should know because they learn about moisture barriers. But if, let's say, everybody was suddenly inspired by wisdom, what would the program look like to use this old knowledge on a massive scale? What would be needed to make sure we use this old knowledge and what could actual projects like the, the social housing project from the early 20th century, building brick, what could that look like today? And would that still be, could we still replicate such a success? Could we create a pattern book or how could we do that nowadays if, if everybody was willing to cooperate? But these are uh, projects I normally do with my students. I made mm -hmm. uh, some project uh, like this as a demonstrative project to show what could happen if we yeah. simply recover laws and tools we put in a drawer that was locked in 1925. And, uh, yeah. uh, and, and I demonstrated that this is possible, but then there are many constructions uh, all around the world that are demonstrating uh, uh, this possibility. I think yeah. uh, something important on which we have to think about is uh, the fact that many, many, let's say the old world has an incredible amount of historical buildings. Uh, the heritage is extremely vast and needs to be restored, needs to be maintained in order to be uh, passed to the next generation for other centuries. But the more we are losing the knowledge of uh, historical methodology of construction, the more we risk to damage uh, the uh, or lose 
the um, heritage. For instance, uh, those buildings I was mentioning or the uh, Scholar Maturarum that collapsed in Pompeii in 2010 because the roof built in the 1950s collapsed and destroyed the monument. Yeah. But if we, uh, instead of having this uh, separation that at a certain point was made in, in our profession, those that are thinking that restoration and those that are thinking uh, in the new construction, it seems like there are two uh, different worlds. While yeah. until uh, the beginning of the 20th century, let's say until the Second World War, it was no distinction between those that were working in one sector and those that were working in the other sector. No. We uh, lose, we are losing constantly uh, the ability, the skill of people. So yeah. uh, projects that are reusing traditional methodology of construction, for instance, I can always refer to the spectacular uh, project made by my uh, Russian friend Maxima Tayans uh, in, uh, in the Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, because he, his family, his uh, grandfather, escaped from uh, Armenia because of uh, the, 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 you know, this horrible program of uh, extermination of uh, the, 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 the inhabitants of that zone. But that's another story. So mm-hmm. he decided to donate to the village where uh, his family was coming from an, an Armenian church. He designed and he built and he paid with his own money using uh, craftsmen that were working in restoration and no one grain of cement has been used there. The costs of construction were ridiculous in in the sense that they were very, very cheap. And it's a building (laughs) that looks built uh, 1,000 years ago there. It's spectacular. I wrote an article on that. Uh, 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 The place is called uh, Karagluk in the Nagorno-Karabakh, if you search for my name and Armenia or Nagorno-Karabakh, you can find images of this spectacular building. So he used the restorer to build a new building. Now, think about uh, uh, working in the uh, transformation of uh, the built-up world after the Second World War using uh, traditional methodology. And think about the incredible uh, labor number of people that can be involved in this uh, process a lot of people without a job a lot of people that are you know with this they can work and learn the way of building uh, in a traditional manner and this means that it's possible to create some uh, you know widespread uh, skill which is uh, creating some number of experts of the construction that are making also the cost of maintenance lower, cheaper. Because if you have just one yeah. person that can work in the traditional masonry, the cost of restoration is insane. But when yeah. you have a lot of craftsmen that are working in competition, everything becomes much more reasonable. Yeah. And this, that could be some uh, utopia, in reality is what happened at the beginning of the 20th century when I'm talking about this district. Uh, because at the end, uh, there is a, there are similarities, obviously. It's not the same subject, but there are similarities, historical similarities, because you have to imagine the city of Rome after unification of Italy is a city of 165,000 of inhabitants. At the beginning of the 20th century, it's a city that reached 1,200,000 of inhabitants. So it was necessary to build uh, fast. 
And the beginning, the construction was given only to the uh, private investor who are not taking care about anything of uh, the, the life condition of those people. And uh, a lot of uh, terrible situation like uh, the French banlieue happened. I wrote an, an essay for uh, some uh, uh, magazine on uh, urban sociology, international magazine making a comparison between the Paris uh, of uh, 2005 and uh, Rome of 1905, because the story is exactly the same. But at the end, uh, what happened was that uh, since the Comune was in bankruptcy, because everything was dependent mm -hmm. on uh, the private investment, they said, if the business is a building, the only way to get out of the business is to become part of that business. So the Institute for Social Housing, were, instead of being a, an institution that was only managing building, uh, built by a third part, they said we can build and we can also sell to yeah. uh, solve the problem. And indeed, in a while, they solved the problem. But what was the greatest strategy was also to think about uh, the uh, uh, creation of labor because, yeah. uh, for instance, in Testaccio uh, in 1910, since... Uh, it was planned at the great exhibition of 1911 to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the unification of Italy. They uh, thought that it was uh, uh, necessary to hide all the, the huts where the homeless used to live uh, in order to avoid this uh, terrible image of, uh, of Rome. And the inhabitant says, we are not looking for your charity. We want to have a permanent houses, not temporary houses. Yeah. And so they invented a system where, since many of those, uh, let's say, homeless were uh, involved in the construction of Rome, because all the immigrants coming to Rome were becoming, or they were already at home, uh, uh, masons, a carpenter, blacksmith. Yeah. So they were involved in the construction. They created a series of cooperative of workers. And they created in the States uh, some uh, institution that was uh, the Comitato Edilizia Centrale and the Di Unione Edilizia Nazionale, that they were managing this cooperative of workers. So mm -hmm. they created an incredible uh, amount of uh, uh, jobs for these people. Wow. So they didn't yeah. give them only the house, but they gave them also a job. They, did, they gave them some future, which was they were, uh, what they were looking for. So... In this way, yeah. they accelerated the process of construction. That's why the building were built in a, such a fast manner. And they uh, were working also on the restoration of, uh, of the city. And at the end, they were learning the way of building in a traditional manner. And so they were able also to work on the restoration of buildings in a proper manner. But the, the yeah. greatest thing that was made with this system was the fact that the state working in, in an, a healthy competition with a private investor. So it's not a kind of a communist idea where everything is made by the state, but it's a way where the state is involved in, in a competition with the private investors. And as the Italian civic code says, at the diligenza del mandatario, that shows uh, how uh, has to behave a public administrator, it's written that the public administrator has to act as the good father of the family that give the best example to his children. So in this way, uh, the kind of architecture that was produced by the state that was possible to be uh, yeah. you know, for sale was making the private investor stimulated to doing even better. That's why there is no distinction wow. between uh, public and private construction. 
when this uh, fantastic system was broken with the, the laws of 1925 and 1926, the mm -hmm. quality of the city went suddenly toward the, the, the cliff to jump down and commit suicide. Yeah. So when we lost this important role played by the, the state, we lost this. And we lost also the greater sociological message that was developed on those days. Because they realized when they made this project involving the, the, uh, the builders, as I told you, uh, giving them a job, the, the, the violence that was characterizing the district Testaccio uh, up, up to 1905 disappeared completely. Everything was planned by the Committee for the Moral and Economic Improvement of Testaccio, led by a proto-sociologist. But the violence disappeared, and the Istituto Case Popolari invented the slogan, La Casa Sana ed Educatrice, the healthy and educational home, because they realized that the architecture was performing an educational role to uh, improve the behavior of people. So it's, uh, it's something that shows that the quality of the architecture, yeah. the beauty, can really change the life of people, can really make people better than what they are. The more we produce ugliness, the more we produce bitterness, the more we are making mm -hmm. cities that are powder cakes, as uh, the periphery of Paris uh, is shown. Yeah, 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 I fully agree there. And I'm always interesting to hear more examples of this in practice and of research showing this or just of examples showing this. So that's interesting to hear this has already been proven in Italy. So maybe just looking at the world of traditional architecture in general, what do you think are currently the biggest misconceptions about traditional architecture that you'd like to dispel? Well, uh, actually, there is there are a lot of common places on traditional architecture. Uh, in Italy, probably are suffering more than all the others because Italy is the country where where the theory of falsification of history have been developed, and the tragedy is also the fact that uh, after Second World War, it was decided that according to those people that were talking about uh, the classless society they decided that the traditional classical architecture was fascist. So it was necessary mm. to have something that was more, uh, let's say, liberal, which was uh, the ugliness of uh, brutalism and the international style. Even if the only architecture that was followed by the fascist time uh, was uh, a fascist regime was uh, the classical one, because in 1938 it was approved a law that was uh, saying, uh, was called Istruzioni per il restauro dei monumenti, Instruction for the Restoration of Monuments, where instead of talking about the restoration of monuments at the point eight, uh, it was written that starting from now is strictly forbidden to build in a style that is not the current one to avoid the double falsification of the old and current history of architecture. Uh, so there are a lot of, uh, of uh, mistakes. In any case, it's necessary uh, to think about also those that are practicing traditional architecture, uh, because sometimes there are people that are believing that having a Corinthian capital on a building will save the world, while and maybe they're completely uninterested on, on uh, urbanism. So maybe they promote the construction of a house for a very rich family in the middle of nowhere, and they believe that the world is saved, while in reality that will be a wonderful UFO landed on the planet Earth <laughs> in a, some super unsustainable world. So, 
the mistakes could be the one of being too dogmatic uh, with some idea of classicism that is uh, like like the one that was promoted by the Mozart system, which completely lost the sense of a hierarchy among the building, completely lost the sense of urbanism, and uh, generated a series of uh, international style that was classical, which was ignoring the roots of the different countries. And as a reaction on that, so we had the functionalism that we define, yeah. define the modernism. So in terms of, you know, my opinion on traditional architecture is that uh, we need to uh, understand every places of these, uh, this world. What I'm teaching to my students uh, is not a style, but is a methodology to approach the project. We start with a deep analysis of places. We uh, create a kind of uh, abaco, we define in Italian, uh, a kind of pattern language that mm -hmm. shows that the, it's a kind of dictionary of the local lexicon on architecture and urbanism in order to understand how we can work in continuity with the places because the most important aspect of uh, traditional architecture must be the way we can reinforce, we can develop the sense of belonging, which means that any corner of this planet uh, used to have a character because uh, the, the drama started after Second World War more than yeah. all the rest. And uh, it was a consequence of uh, the ideas of uh, Le Corbusier in, 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 in Europe and Frank Lloyd Wright in the United States with uh, yeah. La Vieja Radieuse and Broadacre City, which were promoting a city dimensioned on cars uh, that, prom that created this uh, terrible consumption. Uh, while until those days, many cities, even in the United States, were absolutely marvelous. The problem yeah. started when uh, the car industry purchased all the public transportation system to dismantle and make Americans yeah. addicted on cars, obviously for their own interest. But uh, the analysis that I can do physically with my students uh, walking in Rome, walking in whatever kind of Italian city, it's something that abroad could be made uh, where the roots are uh, cut, using the archives, yeah. using the photographs to understand what used to be the character of uh, every city of this planet that used to be uh, dimensioned on humans. Maybe some city was uh, planned with a, a grid which is far away from any idea of city we love because at the end it's something that is uh, some powerful in, uh, imposition. Richard Sennett is saying that this is the first manifestation of uh, a dictatorship in some way uh, mm. to impose a grid that is denying the banality of, re of every day. This is what Richard Sennett says. But in any case, even if you have a grid plan, you can have a beautiful cities, you can have a beautiful buildings, you can have a mix of functions instead of having cities which are not inhabited during the night are dangerous places because there are no uh, activities that are inviting to the stroll and are uh, making the cities uh, secure. But uh, traditional, the greatest mistake of traditionalist uh, architects, not everybody, obviously, is this idea that uh, we can uh, use uh, the language of Palladio or uh, worse, the, the American mm -hmm. Mignola 
to uh, to make a, a classical architecture which at the end is the same all around the world while uh, if we analyze uh, for instance when i bring my students to sicily it is possible to see how within one region the baroque of palermo is quite different from the one of ragusa ibla in noto which is different from the one of Syracuse, which is different from the one of Catania. The language is the same, yeah. the style is the same, but the slang is different because the slang is according to the local needs, to the local yeah. habits, to the local material. And this makes the world beautiful. This makes the world different. Uh, we need to have unity without a uniformity. We need to have a variety. We need to have something that is... Uh, reinforcing the sense of belonging when we it's not a case if during the wars uh, one of the worst attack made by whoever is invading a country is to destroy the symbol of identity think about the buddha destroyed in uh, uh, afghanistan yeah. or uh, the uh, the buildings of palmyra destroyed by the isis uh, where were not much people living there it was a a, a, a deliberated attack on the roots of country, yeah. Yeah. humiliate uh, countries and destroy the roots. But international style, industrial architecture, it's the same. Because when you destroy the character of places, imposing one language that is valid yeah. for everybody, uh, but at the end is maybe valid for another planet, but not for this. We are making some violence that is like the one of the ISIS destroying the monuments in order to avoid that people are in love with the roots of their own country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to quickly go into one point. So if we want to get that true diversity in unity again, how do we best achieve that? Because people need to start somewhere, they need to first learn anything about the, the classical languages, let's say the American viola, uh, but then how do, uh, how do we come to a system where every region can have its own language again, can have its own expression again for, of this language? Well, as I said, when we approach a project for whatever kind of corner of this planet, we need to study uh, the, the place. We need mm -hmm. to study the, the habits. We need to study the colors. We need to study the grammar. If I want to speak in German, I need to learn German. You know, I can't yeah. invent a language. Maybe I, uh, the language will be not perfect, but uh, at the end, I need to uh, allow people to understand what I'm talking about. And architecture is a language, and is a language that uh, it is different place by place. So instead of thinking that uh, we are the master and we have our manner and we can impose our manner wherever we go, which means putting our yeah. signature without thinking at the rest, which is one of the greatest misunderstanding of modernity, yeah. uh, especially misunderstanding of the concept of freedom, because mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that believe that they can do whatever they want because they are free to do it, but their freedom must be within the border of not destroying yeah. the freedom of the others. But this is uh, quite a complex argument <laughs> to be discussed. So if we make these analyses that could be made studying the real buildings or uh, studying the, the archives, the old documents, we can work in continuity with the places. And uh, the variety is, for instance, watching 
you made this fantastic documentary on Le Plessis Robinson. Mm-hmm. Le Plessis Robinson is uh, the outskirts of Paris, but it looks like Paris. Yeah. We have been two weeks ago in Pambury in England, and those buildings were Pambury, England, or Dorset, uh, uh, were not yeah. Rome, which means that uh, we identify the district, uh, the, these uh, brand new cities at the end, because these are not the districts. Uh, and uh, we can say these are traditional uh, places. Nevertheless, they are using yeah. a completely different language, which are those of the places. In German, there are a lot of interventions that are uh, contemporary, but are uh, respectful of the past. Yeah. Uh, since you are in, in the, the Netherlands, uh, I was involved yeah. by Rob Krier in Brandenburg, where he was yes. desperate because he was asked mm. to make a traditional city as extension of uh, Helmond. And then yeah. uh, the local architects were not ready to do it as it was required by the inhabitants. So he asked me, could you bring your student? Mm-hmm. We pay for uh, the journey uh, to make a kind of demonstrative project. So I used in the Netherlands, in the Brabantine region precisely, the methodology of analysis I'm doing here in Italy with my students. Yeah. We studied for three uh, for three days. We studied three different villages of the beautiful villages of the Brabantine region. We studied also Helmond, uh, we studied Hindhoven, which were, you know, the closest city, in order to, to make uh, some uh, pattern language uh, uh, deeply Brabantine. Yeah. We come back home and we design 84 houses based on this analysis we did. We presented after mm-hmm. one month this project uh, and uh, it was uh, so successful. Students of the wow. third year, they make this yeah. design and the houses were totally sold out. And now this is the model wow. to complete <laughs> the city of Brandenburg the, in the Netherlands. Which means that when you have yeah. the right methodology to approach a project for whatever corner of this planet, instead of thinking that you have to go there and you have to export there your money, you have to do something that is respectful of the place. Mm-hmm. So you can be yourself. But in the same time, you can be part of that. It's like a carpet that has an hole. You are not going to make some titanium plate instead of that hole. You will work in continuity. If you are wounded, you are not going to put a titanium plate. You are going to restore your face. So what is important is to recognize local languages and work in continuity. Yeah. And because, of course, we we didn't even talk a lot about your being a professor at Notre Dame yet. So what are the courses you teach? And also what makes you most hopeful and perhaps most worried about the future of architecture, looking at your experience as a teacher? Well, actually I'm teaching the urbanism of, uh, uh, of Rome for the undergraduate mm-hmm. and I'm teaching uh, yeah. the graduate studio in urban okay. design, urban architectural design. Yeah. And uh, we try to make a real project. For instance, now my students are going to present on, on Friday uh, a project for the urban regeneration of one of the worst districts we have in Rome, which was yeah. also the place <laughs> where it was filmed, a funny movie that is called Come un gatto in tangenziale, which means something that mm-hmm. is going to last soon because it's a, a cat walking on the highway. <laughs> so it's a funny movie. Anyway, 
Yeah. Uh, but it's a very, very uh, terrible district. So my yeah. students are now making this project, which uh, started with the analysis of the center of Rome, the analysis of three <clears throat> former social housing districts, uh, which were mixed income, mixed function anyway, Città Giardino Niene, Garbatella, and Testaccio. And, and they made this urban design, which is uh, going up to the diagrams that are showing the phasing of development, uh, the diagram that are showing the structure of the project in terms of a pedestrian area, parking lots, mm-hmm. uh, green spaces, everything we need. But there's also making an evaluation of the number of inhabitants uh, because we have to give back the houses to those poor families that are living there. Yeah. There is also the construction of a park. And we make also the budget planning to understand uh, how much does it cost to build yeah. and how we can uh, uh, recover these, these costs in order to understand yeah. if it is a, a, some feasible and successful yeah. project or not. So these are uh, the kind of the two classes I'm teaching in these two semesters here in, uh, in Rome. And in yeah. terms of uh, what I'm thinking about the future, according to what we are doing, uh, I can say that I'm very proud to say that the the um, the studies made the federal mm-hmm. studies made in the in the United States among all the universities and among all the different schools yeah. says that only the graduated uh, of the University of Notre Dame find job immediately after the graduation up to ninety two percent. This means that our students are very sought after. Even uh, modernist uh, architects are interviewing (laughs) and wants to hire our students because we try to give them some holistic approach on uh, the the matter. Uh, We are, uh, you know, it's weird in the 21st century to say that, especially for those uh, that are students uh, of architecture where uh, the use of pencil is forbidden because now we are all addicted (laughs) on... uh, on computers, but until yeah. the end of the third year, we don't ha- allow the students to draw with the computer. They need to draw, yeah. they need to learn. And then when uh, in the fourth year they start using the computer, they become monsters because they use the computer as a pencil, as a pen, instead of being addicted on uh, the template uh, models uh, proposed by the software. Because at the end, what is uh, the hell of studying mm-hmm. in a school of architecture if you want to use a prefab object offered by the computer? If you want to <laughs> develop your skill, your uh, yeah. you know uh, ideas, you can be slave of something that is prefab by uh, someone uh, with probably no knowledge on the history of architecture, on architecture in general. And... Uh, I think this is the greatest promise I can say. We have so many uh, cases all around the world of an inversion of, of uh, the tendency in uh, in, uh, in uh, yeah. the cities are built because we have the case of uh, La Plessis Robinson, we mentioned mm-hmm. Pambury, but then uh, we have Cayala in, in Guatemala, uh, yeah. and we have so many um, projects, those uh, that... Uh, Xavier Ball shown in Pambury uh, in France, yeah. but also in Turkey, in uh, Cyprus, and in many, many other places. Uh, we have uh, fantastic projects in uh, Portugal, in, the Sp- in Spain. Uh, all around the world, uh, those things are, uh, are happening. And the great uh, 
not a dream because at the end is uh, you know what what i really hope yeah. is that this kind of media like yours uh the blog i'm i'm using i'm publishing many essays not a simple post but real essay with the, the bibliography to um, mm -hmm. open the eyes of people that are living like uh, those in uh, the the myth of the grotto of plato they are watching yeah. shadows and they believe that that is true until yeah. you are not showing them that there is an alternative and since the alternatives now are a lot i can say that when 30 years ago i started fighting my battles immediately after the graduation i started making my battles uh, for architecture uh, against the, the mm -hmm. ugliness of uh, uh, the, the the present time at the beginning, I was accused to be fascist, to be communist, to be populist, <laughs> to be stupid, to be anachronistic, and whatever yeah. you want. But then people, uh, step by step, started having more courage. And now the blog I have, yeah. um, I created in May of 2017. Now mm -hmm. I have uh, 200,000 readers. Wow. And there are a lot of people that are following those battles. And I'm using also Facebook to, to make polemics on architecture and <laughs> urbanism. And I'm yeah. constantly, I constantly receive requests uh, to go somewhere to talk or to help to stop some uh, monster construction. And, uh, yeah. and this shows that a lot of people, even in my country, that is totally addicted on the idea of falsification of history and uh, the dream of modernity, which is not modernity, but is modernism, are changing their approach on architecture. And I'm no longer called, you know, defined fascist, communist, populist, etc. <laughs> because, uh, you know, if there are all these people interested in fighting for the right things, means that people finally realize that professors, architects, journalists were just cheaters that abused of trust of people, yeah. uh, imposing them something that is uh, absolutely absurd and necessary to be uh, stopped. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a final question before I move to a, a last question about uh, some recommendations. So what would be more likely that other modernists university programs are going to change their curricula and are going to adapt to these new insights or that the change will happen from the outside in from summer schools new academies being set up kind of an, a new <laughs> educational <coughs> layer being set up because that's what we also see with, with summer schools of la, la table ronde d'architecture in uh, in bruges nicholas boy smith in england he has a summer school in cambridge there's a program then we have in Utrecht, and yeah, you have one in Spain. So what's your vision on that? Or, yeah. Well, obviously, the summer programs are fundamentally important because being elective programs, which are attracting, in any case, people to, uh, to attend, uh, mm -hmm. are the right places where uh, students uh, or young architects practitioner that used to live with the blinkers like a horses because of the education yeah. received at the school up to that moment can open their eyes. And uh, the more those kind of programs are talking about uh, real things and not white elephants, because unfortunately there are also a lot of uh, summer programs 
even classical summer program where maybe uh, the kind of things that are uh, proposed are impossible dreams uh, far away from yeah. reality. But the more we are realistic, the more we think in a humble manner, instead of thinking at the, the construction of the, the gigantic whatever intervention, we think about something that is you no know, uh, small houses with the shops, something that is uh, that has mm. a, some uh, urban structure that makes people happy to to walk and live. Uh, those things uh, can be um, the right uh, weapons to be used when uh, those that are still students go back to the school and show the success to their professor which at the yeah. beginning probably are not going to be very happy for that. But then uh, it's a kind of a peaceful war, like the one of Mahatma Gandhi. So we are not fighting, we're not offending people. We're simply showing the alternative in a quiet manner. I remember when I was involved in uh, uh, some conference uh, uh, panel discussion uh, organized in London by the, the RIBA and the New Palladians, and it was some confrontation, uh, modernist versus uh, traditionalists. And at the end, I think it was, uh, it's not, it was not a good result for the modernists because uh, <laughs> at the end, the room was packed with the people and they realized that uh, while the traditionalists were showing example and were gentle, those mm -hmm. others were just offending and attacking those that were making traditional architecture. And at the end, uh, those that are attending a confrontation like that can understand that those that are attacking are doing because they are in trouble. They understand that uh, they are losing yeah. the battle. So I think yeah. uh, step by step, uh, the programs of schools is going to change thanks to uh, these summer programs and uh, uh, you know, even with the Erasmus program, uh, someone that goes abroad uh, and have the possibility to, to listen in the other bell, uh, I think that would be uh, important. But uh, uh, the social media, again, like uh, your podcast, uh, yeah. all the blogs, uh, all these uh, pages, Architecture Rebellion, uh, all these things <laughs> that are, you know, it, it is amazing, you know, until a few years ago, as I said, I was feeling really uh, alone, like uh, the crazy guy walking and uh, talking with himself <laughs> in the middle of the street. But now yeah. the social media packed with uh, a lot of people that are fighting for the same uh, things. And this is something that brought uh, many schools already to add, you know, like a yeah. little seeds. In America, uh, University of Notre Dame is a leader in this, but there are other universities that are uh, making programs dedicated to architecture. The, the University, Catholic University of Washington created, a, wants to mm -hmm. create, a, it's not totally done yet, but the idea was to have a program like the one of Notre Dame in Rome, and they have already something. There yep. are um, other schools the, in America that are teaching um, classical architecture. Obviously, there are few professors in a school that is mainly modernist, but uh, do also, I think, to the uh, results of uh, these uh, federal studies I mentioned earlier, it is impossible for the deans of the school uh, uh, to ignore that there is a, a, 
a difference uh, and and this yeah. difference is something that at the end is uh, is going to to change something obviously yeah. there is uh, the, the the problem of those that are suffering still today of uh, the uh, the syndrome of uh, the fox and the grape of uh, Aesop story you know those <laughs> that are not able to do something will let you know we tell you that you are wrong but people are not stupid so if it, this is a debate that is happening in a in a place where uh, there is no confrontation with the people uh, obviously uh, the position are remaining those but if you have uh, some public confrontation if you have uh, the uh, the possibility of uh, blogs of uh, podcasts i yeah. hope you know sometime really <laughs> I, I, I talk in TV uh, of these things and the response of people, it is uh, incredible. You know, if uh, there are so many comments on many videos that are online after, you know, whatever, even, a, you know, a kind of interview like this, it's yeah. a really, really uh, um, interesting because you can see the positive response and many, many of the comments are, I didn't know that it was this possibility. I never heard those things. And now, uh, and they say, now I have the courage to, to, to talk. Because one of yeah. the typical comments after a conference, someone is uh, coming and say, sorry, I don't know if I can uh, say this because I'm not an architect. And I say, because you are not architect, you are much more allowed than me that I'm an architect to talk about architecture. Yeah. Because yeah. this yeah. idea of the elite that is deciding for the other is the drama of current architecture. We conceived a, a kind of architecture which uh, is like uh, some uh, lab where we make a test on guinea pigs that are the humans. It's uh, yeah. time is over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% agree. And that's also my new response when I talk with people and they say like, yeah, uh, I don't know anything about architecture, but and it's like, no. <laughs> Because you're not an architect, you uh, your opinion is extra valid. <laughs> so it's not uh, a case yeah. if the only wise person attending at uh, the Fourth Siam in 1933 was Fernando Ger, who was not an architect, who made uh, some incredible speech. Uh, uh, he left mm -hmm. one of the most powerful warning messages to Le Corbusier and his friend, because he said, "You get too far. You completely lost the control." No one is following you. Please put your programs in your pockets and walk in the dust and try to listen people because people are completely lost with the, your idea. Remember that urbanism is a social. It's not some artistic idea in your mind. Yeah. He was not architect. He was the wise man uh, present at that uh, meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Uh, that's a beautiful and do this podcast maybe um do you have any recommendations for resources for listeners uh to dive deeper into yeah your blog for example or other topics they might like well uh as i said there are uh those facebook pages like architecture rebellion which mm -hmm. is uh, to me very very uh, interesting because it's showing something that is totally unknown even among traditional architects uh, yeah. In my blog, which is written in Italian, has in the bottom uh, left corner some orange uh, flag for the translation in whatever kind of language. 
and mm-hmm. I received comments uh, even from China saying that the translator wow. was working very well. So I didn't test <laughs> it, but I think it works. Maybe it will be not perfect, but it's possible to read it carefully. But I think something important or something possible to be done is to make whatever kind of research on classical traditional architecture on the web, because there are a lot of documents that are uh, probably only there because a magazine, newspaper, not publishing those things. But the the web is free, not totally probably, but is almost you know, yeah. entirely free. And until you are not making something that is totally unpolite, you can publish whatever you like. And there are a lot of things uh, possible to be visited there. The other recommendation I can say mm-hmm. is uh, to uh, make your own studies uh, independently from uh, whatever background you have. Uh, because, uh, as I always say to my students, books are written by the winners. So yeah. what is containing the book not necessary is the Holy Bible. And it is necessary to read as much as possible in order to have the knowledge of all the different kind of readings. Uh, but then uh, this is something that has to stimulate uh, our critical uh, approach to, uh, to write our own uh, ideas, our own version of, uh, of the same history. So curiosity must be the way to go forward. Curiosity yeah. to understand how and why and when it was done something in order to understand if that is possible to be done. Uh, Goethe was saying that uh, we don't have to be sad because of uh, what, mm. what we have, because maybe the knowledge of the past that has to stimulate ours in going, uh, going forward. And, uh, you know, these are the main recommendations I can give, because there are so many people working in traditional architecture all around the world uh, that actually yep. they have their own web pages, uh, they have uh, their own blogs, uh, they have uh, their own uh, way of communicating. So even if you don't know the name, making this kind of research step by step is possible to discover uh, an incredible vast world that is hidden from the mainstream. mainstream. Yeah, I think it's a really good one to indeed uh, to read not only the books written by the winners, <laughs> To read the other side of the story, which is uh, well, yeah, very start wise. With, start the, uh, with the reading of Tom Wolf, the book I mentioned earlier, oh, yeah. from House to Our House. Yeah. Uh, it is already some uh, good way to start thinking at the, the architecture of functionalism, modernism, uh, from a different perspective, from someone that instead of uh, playing the violin to say how strong they, those architects were, it is uh, highlighting the, the problems generated by those people that give the courage to uh, revisit the way we are thinking at these kind of uh, gods. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a, a lovely last tip as well. I think also it's time to, to close this off. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And I'm really happy with, with all this new knowledge. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was a very great pleasure meeting you and talking with you today yeah wonderful thanks thank you for listening to another episode of the aesthetic city podcast find more information about notre dame school of architecture in the link in the description if you like our content and want to support what we do you can support us in various ways the easiest way is to give this podcast a favorable review another way to support this podcast is to share it with colleagues and friends you can also follow us on x 
subscribe to our YouTube channel or our Substack newsletter. And finally, the ultimate way to support The Aesthetic City is to become a patron. Find the Patreon link in the description. For more information about this platform, visit theaestheticcity.com. Thank you until next time.